Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 75. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Precision Hydration manufacture electrolyte products to help you individualize your electrolyte and hydration for your racing and training because every individual has a different sweat rate and different sweat sodium content. So not everybody should be treated the same. And uh, Precision Hydration has a great way of helping you figure out what your race or training hydration strategy should be. It's their free hydration plan that you can find in uh, one of the tabs on their top menu on their website. You will basically just answer a few questions about how you generally uh, react in terms of sweating, salt stains and so on in training and racing and in different temperatures and humidity conditions. And that that will then inform Precision Hydration's algorithm to uh, give you a good ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat and how much you sweat, which then informs the race strategy. You can get 15% off your Precision Hydration products with the code DATTRIATHLONSHOW15 on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. Roka are the world leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, sunglasses and prescription glasses. Not to forget some of the other equipment that they have, like transition bags and uh, certain swim equipment, swim bags, mesh bags, and uh, so on that you can use in training and racing. All of it is designed with uh, the sole purpose of being the best that it can possibly be and uh, make your uh, triathlon performances faster or your training more convenient, depending on what specific product you're looking for. You can get 20% off your order with the promo code that you will get on that landing page roca.com forward slash TTS. So on today's questions, first we have a question from Bertrand in Belgium who writes, Hi Michael, could I have your opinion on the benefits and drawbacks of swimming continuously versus breaking up the volume in sets of 100s or 200s? I'm training for a full Ironman, so I guess that it's good to at least mentally be able to swim for longer bouts of time, but I noticed that my form and overall speed is much better if I do, for example, 14 times 100 instead of 1 times 1400, all at a comfortable quote-unquote zone 2 effort. Thanks in advance, many thanks for your awesome contribution to contribution to our sport. Thank you, Bertrand, for your question. Uh, so uh, you already do a good job of listing the pros and cons of each of uh, the options yourself. So when we're talking about doing long, continuous bouts of swimming, that absolutely has a place, especially when preparing for something like an Ironman. It's uh, simply the rule of specificity. And uh, I would suggest that a great way to make the most out of out of this specificity is to do at least one of your sessions with such longer bouts of swimming, long continuous swimming in the open water. So it could be even something like a standalone open water race if you're lucky enough to have such races available. And if you do these, these long continuous swims or long continuous sets, I'm not necessarily saying that you should be doing 
3,000 meters continuously, but we might be talking about something like three times 800 meters when we when we're talking about long continuous swimming. If you can choose a 50 meter pool instead of a 25 meter pool, that would obviously be great, even though it's not a deal breaker. And uh, the explanation for why I think that it's great to do some of that uh, swimming in a 50 meter pool, if possible is that uh, specificity-wise, you obviously have fewer occasions of resting or relative rest when pushing off the wall compared to a 25-meter pool. And uh, mentally, as you mentioned, you would be doing the same work regardless of if it's a 25- or 50-meter pool. The drawback of long continuous sets is that, as you mentioned, it's very easy to lose form, lose some focus, and lose speed. But uh, those aspects all come into place in the race as well. So that's why I do think that you should do these long continuous swim sets in training to help minimize that happening in the race. And one small gadget that I think is absolutely brilliant that can help you counter this tendency is the Finis Tempo Trainer. For those of you not familiar, it's simply a metronome that you can put uh, underneath your swim cap and you can set it to any specific speed so that for example you can set it to beep uh, at a certain interval in terms of time that corresponds to the the pace you want to be swimming so let's say you want to be swimming at 130 per 100 meter pace you can set it to beep every 22.5 seconds and then it will beep whenever you should be at the wall in a 25 meter pool or if you're in a 50 meter pool you just set it to beep every 45 seconds instead and you just follow it you make sure you're at the wall doing your turn every time it beeps and that makes pacing so brilliant and when you you start using the finis tempo trainer that's when you start noticing that something that feels like very easy and comfortable at the beginning of a long set it starts to feel much harder and uncomfortable later on in that set. And that's when uh, it's really becoming useful to just try to stick to that beep, stay with the beep, so to say. And uh, that will help you just learn that to maintain the same pace, you actually probably, in swimming especially, have to increase the effort as we're going through these long, continuous bouts of swimming. Even with the tempo trainer, though, you are not going to be able to just force your body to swim as well as it would if you were to break the set into 100s and 200s, as you mentioned. And the whole point of why we tend to break swimming into intervals like 100s and 200s is so that coaches on deck, because traditionally swimming has been a sport where you always have a coach on deck, they can give you feedback between your bouts of swimming so that you're not wasting the session by keeping doing the same mistake, but you can actually course correct if something goes wrong. And uh, based on simply based on the feedback that the coach can give you when you have those shorter rests in between bouts. Of course, many of you, most of you, most of us do not have a coach on deck to do that. But the same thing still applies, even though you would be the one to self-assess your technique you would be the one to confirm your pace, think about the technical cues you want to take into the next bout, and so on, before you go at it again. And uh, you would, of course, have to adjust the recovery durations according to the purpose of the workout. So if you want to do an endurance set of, let's say, 10 times 200, then recoveries would be short. It might be 10, 20 seconds. And that that is so short compared to the work duration, which might be three to four minutes for most age groupers. 
that really there isn't any difference metabolically compared to swimming a straight 2000. But there is a difference in taking those short breaks in that it helps you swim better by not putting you over the limit in terms of your muscular endurance and uh, you which would make you force to swim with a suboptimal stroke and suboptimal form now the counter argument to that is that we can we can come back and say well maybe if my muscular endurance is limiting me in that way maybe i should do more longer sets to improve it and yes that would be a very valid argument so we can really go back and forth on this and there are benefits and drawbacks of both methods it makes logical sense then that we should use both approaches and that is definitely what i would recommend personally but uh, I don't think that we should do an equal amount of really long continuous sets versus shorter broken sets. My opinion is that because swimming is so technically driven and the swim in the racing is relatively short compared to the other disciplines, no matter if it's a sprint or an Ironman, it's still short. I think that prioritizing technical proficiency higher than specificity and muscular endurance is a good trade-off. So let's say in your Ironman build, you want to do an endurance set of 3,000 meters every week for 12 weeks leading into the race. And uh, then just as a bit of a back of the na- napkin estimation, I would suggest that uh, around six to eight of those 12 endurance sets would be done as uh, repetitions broken into or sets broken into repetitions of 300 meters and shorter. So 300s, 200s, 100s. Uh, that's six to eight of those 12 workouts two to three of them would perhaps be done as uh, 400s and 500s one to two of those would be done as uh, repetitions in the range of 600 to 800s and one to two as uh, 1000s to 1500s so that's uh, just as a rough guideline of how i would personally prioritize the, the hierarchy of breaking things up into shorter sets and longer continuous swimming and as you could see there there is a continuum it's not just about choosing between 100s 200s and thousands or 1500s you could you can mix and match you can add in 400s 500s 600s 800s so keep that in mind and of course here we've only been talking about how to break up a set a set amount of work at a fairly low intensity but keep in mind that uh, also for Ironman training, a good triathlon swim program will include things like fast sprints and hard intervals that might be 50s, 100s, 150s, 200s. And for those harder workouts, you don't have a choice but to break it up into intervals because you're trying to hit a certain intensity and do a certain amount of work at that intensity. And this, of course, will sound obvious to to many, but for the more beginner triathletes in the audience in particular, it's actually very common to do all swimming in one single gear, all at the same speed, which is not very conducive for improving your swim. So that's something that I think is very important to note, that sometimes we break things up into intervals because we have a choice and we can weigh the pros and cons of each option, as we discussed in this question with regard to longer endurance sets at uh, a very like very sub-maximal intensity but sometimes we break things up into intervals because the workout goal isn't just pure endurance it's some sort of intensity and you don't have a choice but to break things up to hit the session goal so there you go Bertrand I hope that this helps
The next, next question that we have is from Sean in uh, Dublin, Ireland, who writes, Hi, Michael, a quick question that may be useful for uh, the podcast Q&A segment. Should a rest day be a full rest day? Uh, so complete rest with no cardio and no strength or gym work. I'm wondering whether on rest days within one of your prescribed training plans, I could do gym work on a rest day. I have some understanding of the need for rest to maximize adaptation, but wondering whether simply giving cardio rest in air quotes might be sufficient. Uh, in other words, doing only strength work on rest days. Grateful for your thoughts and comments. Uh, I've been using your strength plan since last year and starting one of your sprint plans soon. All right. Thank you, Sean, for your question. Uh, I want to tackle this in two parts. And uh, the first part here will be, should a rest day be a full rest day? In other words, complete rest with no cardio and no strength gym work. The answer is uh, the dreaded it depends, but I'll uh, clarify here and give some examples to make it uh, a more satisfactory one. So one of the things it depends on is uh, how much oral work you can handle in the case that you're a less experienced athlete or vice versa, how much oral work you actually need to do to improve if you're a more experienced athlete. So uh, we have two two sides of the coin there. The newer athlete might be more in the risk of doing too much work and the uh, uh, the more experienced need to make sure that they do enough. Of course, they shouldn't do too much, but uh, but the question isn't as much whether they can handle the work. It's that there is a certain amount of work that needs to be done. And uh, for the newer athlete, a complete rest day may be the correct choice because they can't sustain that much as much training as a more experienced athlete so taking a full day's rest might be a good thing for that athlete and uh, but uh, i'll get into some uh, caveats to this very shortly for the more advanced athlete with some ambitious performance goals there simply is a certain amount of work that they need to do to improve and uh, they usually have been in the sport for some time so they've built up to be able to handle a decent training load so physically they are completely fine uh, by doing just a light training day rather than a complete rest day in uh, this group normally but uh, the other thing here to go into is that more than the physical capacity to train and recover uh, i would say that the mental capacity to train day in day out is a much more determining factor in whether you should have a full rest day or just a lighter training day because I would argue that even for beginners, not even complete beginners off the couch, I would argue that they don't really ever need a complete rest day just for the sake of physical capacity to train if they are on a well-balanced program. So perhaps this beginner, off the couch beginner, actually has three to four rest days per week. But on each of those, they still do 15 to 20 minutes of either swimming, biking and running. So when you think about that, that's not a lot. It might even be run-walk if you're doing a run and in the swim, of course, you have some natural breaks and in, on the bike, it might just be commuting to work or something like that. And the longer sessions you would then do, obviously, on those three remaining days of, of the week. Eventually, this 
athlete might get to a point where they do six days of uh, slightly longer training uh, for example so not just 15-20 minutes but perhaps one hour and then only one day would be a rest day which could still be a similar 20 minute swim bike or run perhaps a, a, a walk run so my argument here is that to do 20 minutes of activity after having almost 24 hours of rest from the previous day's session and then 24 more hours to the next session is physically doable for pretty much anybody. And not just doable, but uh, physically beneficial. Because humans are really not desired to be sedentary for uh, 47, 48 straight hours. And uh, doing those 20 minutes of exercise in the middle of that period between some slightly more substantial workouts is probably only going to be beneficial. But again, this is from a physical perspective and also assuming that we're on a well-balanced program. If you are, on the other hand, not on a well-balanced program and you're driving yourself into non-functional overreaching or overtraining, you will need full rest at some point because that's basically the way to get out of non-functional overreaching or overtraining. But let's hope that that's not the case. On the other hand, especially for athletes that are newer to the sport, even if it's just a 20-minute easy jog or easy light technical swim, the act of doing some exercise every single day can start to feel like a chore and lead to a bit of mental burnout. So I do think that it makes sense to add some complete rest days simply for that reason, to get that mental recovery and not have it be a chore. But this is really where I, as a coach, need to know my athlete. I need to know who thrives off of training every single day and who starts to think that it's becoming a job uh, if you have them train every day. And even with the athlete that thrives off of training every day, sometimes, and it might just be once per month, but it has to happen sometimes, in my opinion, they should have a complete rest day just to get some headspace and time away from the sport that they probably didn't even realize that they needed. So those would be at least my personal opinion on, on how to uh, how to handle that situation from a coaching perspective. But coming back to the argument that uh, it's mostly for the mental uh, recovery that you might take a full rest day, not so much for the physical uh, physical aspect, uh, that's something that I think is a mistake many people make with simply to assume that they physically need a complete rest day when they really don't, what they might need instead is a more well-balanced program. And if you have that, then 23 to 24 hours of rest or even potentially 30 to 36 hours of rest if, for example, you train on Sunday morning and then Monday evening you do that 20-minute easy jog, that's more than enough uh, if that rest day activity is really light enough. So uh, I could go on and on, but uh, instead I want to direct you to a fantastic resource on the topic if you want to hear more of a deep dive. And that is a podcast episode on the podcast Science of Ultra, which is called Do You Really Need Scheduled Rest Days? I will link to it in the show notes, so go and listen. It's a great episode that uh, tackles this question. Now, the second part of Sean's question is uh, if he could do a gym workout on that, uh, in air quotes, rest day, rest day from endurance sports at least. And my answer is absolutely. Uh, with strength and conditioning, the first rule, in my opinion, of, of how to place it in your schedule is place it where it will get done. If you have the biggest chance of getting it done on your rest day from endurance training, then that's a great place to put it. And the second rule 
of placing it in your schedule is place it where it doesn't negatively impact your performance in key workouts. So if you know that the day after a gym session you tend to be a bit sore and uh, the day after your rest day just happens to be a key run session, then maybe it's actually not the best idea to do the gym session on that endurance sport rest day. Instead, I would recommend, for example, doing that harder run in the morning as planned and then do the gym session in the afternoon or evening on that same day, if possible. Of course, once you adapt to the strength training, you shouldn't really have any debilitating soreness anymore. So then ideally you will have a lot of flexibility in where to place those sessions. But uh, I should say that uh, from my experience of working with athletes, the degree to which you experience soreness from uh, strength and conditioning is very dependent on the individual and most will adapt pretty quickly to strength training and uh, again this of course assumes that you are honest with yourself and with the weights that you try to lift and not do too much too soon uh, but still there is a lot of a big individual variance and for some it's very difficult to uh, to get rid of that soreness or it takes a long time to adapt to to not have that soreness anymore and if that is the case with you then you should try to optimize for both rule number one so place the gym session where it gets done and also number two where it doesn't negatively impact your key workouts if your rest day from the endurance training then fulfills both of these criteria, then I think it's an excellent choice for doing strength and conditioning. And uh, personally, I actually find those kinds of days very, very nice and relaxing because I get to do something something active even on that day when I'm not swimming, biking and running. But it breaks up the normal routine. It uh, it gives me sort of that, that headspace that I talked about earlier. Uh, it uh, stops swimming, biking and running from feeling like a chore. And I can just get into the gym with a good podcast or audiobook and do something a bit different, but still get my exercise kicks kick. So that's just my personal observation uh, from an athlete standpoint. Uh, but uh, other than that, I do have some more information on how to place strength and conditioning in a triathlon training program in my blog post called Triathlon Strength Training in 2018, The Definitive Guide, and it's still relevant today in 2020 so i'll link to that as well in the episode description check it out if you want more information hope this helps sean and good luck with the training plans so that's it for the questions today links in the episode description will be available for the science of ultra podcast and the strength training blog post mentioned uh, please keep sending in all these great questions that I get to my email, michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and that's Michael with a K. Make sure that you tune in on Monday to my interview with uh, Norwegian head coach Adil Tveiten. It was an interview done live after spending the day with uh, Adil and the Norwegian uh, team on their training camp here in Portugal. So a really great opportunity to see what they're doing close up. And uh, Adil is somebody who is super uh, transparent with everything that they do in training, which makes this one of the best interviews I've done, I believe. If you're interested in our products and services from training plans to individual coaching, check out our website scientifictriathlon.com and email me if you need any more information on any of those things. Thank you to our sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Get your free hydration plan and get 15% off your order with the promo code that show 15 
And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. Get 20% off your order of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear by getting a promo code on that landing page, roka.com forward slash TTS, as in that triathlon show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.